because making games is easy. Right? Right. It's Behind the Line Radio with your host, Kinetic. And it starts now. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Behind the Line Radio. I'm your host, Kinetic, a.k.a. Nick. And there's a lot of mm, trepidation, maligning, whatever you might say, about video game publishers. There's a lot of blaming that happens. There's the perception that they meddle with developers. There's the perception that, well, I suppose particularly with EA, that they'll buy small developers and then shut, like, turn them into sequel mills and shut them down. And I've kind of worked on both sides of this, and we've, we're actually doing something a bit different today. I know I say that a lot. Maybe this is just a variety show instead of what I originally intended. I don't know. But we have several guests here today. First, returning, Dave, deep voice guy from the intro. How you doing, Dave? Hello. <laughs> <laughs> I still got to get more intro clips from you. <laughs> we also have Chris. How are you doing today? I am doing great. Thanks, Nick. And Lorenzo. How are you doing? I'm going to try to go l- lower than Dave. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> you know, oddly enough, I think uh, Alex that I had on last week might be able to hit the lowest register out of all of us. Wow. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Well, he's just got that. Uh, he's actually got that smoker's voice, so it can hit pretty well. <laughs> oh, yeah. A little gravel to it. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I smoked. <laughs> Well, I'm glad that you don't, for whatever that's worth. (laughs) So, um, I know I've worked in a variety of roles in the publisher and developer relationship. My main background is QA. So, Dave, I know you've worked in um, both a QA role and a production role, probably mostly on the developer side, less on the publisher side. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah, we've done some publishing though at my last company. Okay. Uh, Chris, you've worked a lot with uh, community and customer support, and I believe that would mostly be on the publisher side? That is correct, yes. Okay. And Lorenzo, you've worked as a producer on a number of things, I believe. Yeah. Uh, I've had a range of roles, actually. So I've, I've worked anywhere from being a, like a 3D artist, a game designer, producer, now a product person uh, on both sides, uh, developer and publisher and but but also a lot of just uh, internal development. So, all right, very first party. So, let's just sort of dive into it. One of the things that I kind of like to do with uh, my stuff is try to give some insight into what things are like when you're working in the industry and you can see things from that different perspective. And I kind of alluded to it earlier, but I think that publishers kind of get a bad rap. I mean. Uh, I was kind of talking with you guys, so I guess I'll just get right to the heart of the matter. I think that there is a lack of understanding for just how often publishers are really trying to save developers from themselves. Yeah, right, <laughs> yep, right. Um, I've seen, and, and again, I've been on both sides of this. I've been on a developer, and we kind of had our own sort of mm, hard-nosed, pig-headed view about how we wanted to design a game. And the publisher was telling us, no, it really needs to be this way. You're not performing well. You have to do this, that, and the other thing. And I've been on the publisher side where we can see developers and it's not working well. And they have to do this, that, and the other thing. Because, you know, it is in the publisher's best interests 
to get the game to work well, to sell well. I mean, like I say a lot of the time, business got a business. So someone's <laughs> got to pay mm-hmm. eventually. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Can I chime in here? Like, Oh, absolutely. I think when, when people uh, think about the publisher-developer relationship, um, they need to think about or when they see mistakes, rather. They need to think about it in this terms. Um, the publisher, if they're going to make mistakes, are going to make them at a strategic level. Um, the developer is going to make mistakes at the tactical level. So right. when there's a lot of hate over a developer or a game where you know you have specific features missing or specific monetization strategies being done or blah 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 blah, there's this perception that oh there's a bunch of suits you know sitting sitting in some some dark room uh, and then developers have to go in there and get their buy-in on doing these kinds of specific game level design changes or whatnot and that's just not true. The developer or the publisher is there to provide sort of you know, infrastructure, I mean, they're, they're publishing, I mean, that's their role, marketing, you know, sort of the larger picture uh, type of services, uh, as well as often, you know, providing, you know, funding and, and, and money and, and, and resourcing and, and guiding the developer towards that, those large, you know, large vision items. Um, but like, you know, on a daily basis, the, the developer is not checking in with the publisher on, you know, what, what, you know, what the tuning on this balance tweak should be. Like they make those decisions. Um, and of course, yes, they can make those decisions sometimes under the duress of greater, larger vision things. But uh, I would say, you know, by and large, 90% of the tactical mistakes you see are made by the developers themselves. Yeah, and and there can there are also plenty of uh, the, there are probably no two developer publisher relationships that are exactly the same. Some of them are going to have more support, some of them are going to have less. Um, yeah, I, I you see that all the time. Of you know, sometimes you'll work with a studio that has a lot of background in different areas. Uh, you know, right now we've got one where you know one of the uh, uh, the original people. Uh, who started the studio has a large uh, marketing background. So, you know, when you're dealing with them, they're going to have a better understanding and, and maybe sometimes it's quibbling about, you know, how they understand how to go about it or not. Uh, while in the end, you know, we're there to help. That's, that's the whole goal. Everybody wants the game to do well and uh, to make a lot of money. Um, but the publisher has to be kind of that mentor and, but at the same time, realize that a lot of times these studios, they think of this as their baby, right? This is this is whether it's an ugly baby or not. <laughs> and that's <laughs> and that's where people like, you know, Lorenzo can jump in and and hopefully make that baby a little bit more palatable to uh, our players. <laughs> <laughs> you mean put your mm, put talking about putting makeup on the pig here? <laughs> <laughs> We uh, let's let's not go too far with that analogy, or maybe we might get some uh, really unfortunate like toddlers in tiaras talk going on. No, no, God, no. <laughs> but, but actually, the the baby analogy is is very good uh, uh, that that Chris called out because yes, a lot of these developers, for them, you also have to understand for a lot of publishing developer relationships, the, the publisher doesn't come in at the way 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 beginning. And right. give you know just toss an idea over the fence for the developers. The developers have something to brewing. That's why they went to go look for a publisher. Yeah, they usually help... usually developers will have like a pitch deck that they give and they shop right. out for publishers who want to give them money to complete the idea. Right. So publishers right. will usually buy into something ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Right. I think it's really interesting. Uh, like you said earlier, that 
no relationship is going to be the same. And I think that's really kind of the key to it. Um, there's always going to be that tenuous relationship just because of the way that you guys are talking about it and the developer wanting to create something and that creation part of it. Usually they have uh, the stakes in that side of it, while the publisher usually has um, supposedly more into the, the financial side of it. I think that the most successful publisher developer relationships are when uh, a, you have a shared vision, right? Like when a publisher is very clear with what they're providing and contractually and on the money side and even on their vision side, understanding what the game is actually going to be, what they want out of the game, how they're going to market it. And when developers uh, are on that same page and they understand um, what the publisher is going to be providing, when they're going to be providing it, what the milestones are like, how flexible they are, um, and how that fits with the game that's going to be created. Uh, when it breaks down, and what I've seen this a lot uh, on the breakdown side, is um, you, you end up seeing a lot of miscommunications about expectations and miscommunications about deliveries. Um, you know, it's it's and game game development is really hard, right? We all know it's hard. Everybody that's in game development. Oh, but in your intro clip, you say making games is easy. (laughs) (laughs) Making making games is easy. Making great games is hard. (laughs) (laughs) The business side is hard. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a different subject, but I genuinely think like making games is uh, one of the most difficult things uh, in any industry because there's a combination of the difficulty of software engineering, which is extremely rigorous um, Mm. discipline combined with entertainment which is by its nature some some of the most like vague it's the most like vague right. and tenuous type of thing possible and you're combining the two and and trying to hit deadlines off of that it's just it's it's pretty ridiculous it's oh, pretty yeah. exactly. there, there's a massive art and science combination going on here like there's no other medium that has the level of stacked technology dependencies or at least entertainment medium that video mm-hmm. games has i mean you don't have Say a movie, I've made analogies like this before. You don't see movies that have to halt production, you know, three quarters of the way through when they're almost done because all of a sudden the film and the camera were no longer compatible because there was an upgrade to the film stock that happened. Right. I I actually worked in uh, VFX when I first got out of uh, college um, on, on some, you know, some large VFX movies. And when what I saw there was the people there were generally some amazing PhD level, like smart people, very smart people in that industry, very well paid. Um, but film VFX or film in general is almost like an assembly line. It's so easy to put together. Once you have your plan, it's just you shoot, you then edit, you then post, and then you release, publish, etc. With games, the entire way, the landscape's changing. People are telling you what they like, what they don't like. Other people are doing things like you or doing something a completely different way. You can't change your software. Your software foundation cannot change as fluidly as, you know, I, you know, with, with film. I can always just go and paint every single frame, frame by frame if I have to, to change in, change in, you know, a, a effect or something. But with the software, it's, it's so fragile. Yeah, and even internally, when you're not dealing with a publisher-developer relationship, when everything is internal, like at a bigger company like Electronic Arts or you know something like that, you're gonna you're gonna see that there are 
internal struggles on the same fronts that you do see versus publisher and developers, right? Like, okay, well, marketing wants to get this out sooner so they can, you know, get it for a Christmas rush. And the people who are making the games are like, we can't do that. Otherwise, you have to cut these key features and then you get these internal battles. So it's like with publishers and developers, you can see where that goes really wrong because they're fighting those exact same battles but they're in completely different companies. Communication lines are usually not nearly as open, so it, it's extremely challenging. Yeah. I say the publisher lives in terror. <laughs> <laughs> so, some, think- there, there's also definitely, you say they live in terror. There's, there's definitely uh, another one of those uh, uh, variables for the relationship is just how much power one side has versus the other. Sometimes the developer will wield a considerable amount of power over the publisher and sometimes mm-hmm. vice versa. Yeah. Well, and I think Dave kind of nailed it earlier is, is, you know, the key to that is setting it up right from the beginning with proper communication, uh, you know, understanding everybody has a shared vision and, and, you know, how you're going to execute. Uh, I think the imbalance a lot of times comes from not thinking about that, whether it's in the original contract or, you know, the, the early decision making that's, that's done, you know, in those those first early days of the game, if you don't have that, it falls apart. And the worst part about that is once it falls apart, turning that around is next to impossible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, seen a number of things fall apart. And another thing is the 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 in my opinion, the more explicit and the more clear those expectations are and what the particular responsibilities of each party is, then if the reality of things starts to break down and there's a lot of pressure on this, if you have a much better understood uh, um, list of responsibilities for each side, you can you can give a little more slack if necessary to right. meet certain expectations. You'd be like, okay, we set everything up. Okay, the developer's really strained here, but the publisher... Uh, because everything's so well defined, can make a little extra room to cover this or that. Because yeah, I mean the the list of things that the publisher can do to help is is wide. It can be, uh, you know, distribution, marketing, customer support, community, uh, testing, uh, network maintenance, actual bug fixing on the client, uh, art. Um, I could yeah. It can go on and on. There's probably no individual part of a game that a publisher would not, at one point or another, potentially have to touch. Hmm. Anybody disagree with that one? No, not at all. <laughs> no, that, that's the thing is that's that's totally true. But it's also you know what what does the studio want? Um, you know, and and are they willing to listen? Um, I, I think or, or ask for help even. Oh, oh, that's a great one, Lorenzo. Yeah, or even or even ask for help. You know, they. They sometimes will just keep on going down that rabbit hole mm-hmm. and and feel like maybe they're on top of it, but that's where a publisher comes in and hopefully will will mentor them and go, hey, that's not working. Here, let's try this. And and they've got to be willing to try that, even if it's something that they hadn't thought about originally. They're, yeah, they, they have to see it as like a, a partnership, and a lot of times they don't. And a lot of times I've seen this more than a couple of times where the publisher is exactly as Chris saying, or sorry, the developers exactly as Chris saying, digging a hole, trying, telling themselves they're going to prove to the publisher that you know they they can do it, um, and and they're gonna they're gonna just you know dig extra hard and put an extra effort, and they keep just doing the wrong things and getting deeper into this hole until they find when they, when they finally need to ask for help, it's already too late. Um, it happens a lot. Yeah, it's unfortunate. There's also an, another problem. Instead of just uh, trying to prove that they could do it, 
is not pushing back on an unreasonable demand. Mm -hmm. There was the story of, I cannot remember the names, but Microsoft was working with the studio that was going to be making a remake of, I think it was called From Dust or something. I keep getting the name wrong in my memory, so I'm not sure. But uh, they kept, someone on Microsoft's side kept asking for changes to the scope of the game, and the studio just kept agreeing without also mm-hmm. without yes. asking for a concurrent like modification of the agreement, either more money or more time or mm-hmm. something. And right. it w- it was stuff like okay, it was only going to be a single player, or, or it was the original scope was only to be a, a multiplayer PvP thing. And oh, we want to add a, a single player campaign, like. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's probably a several hundred thousand dollar edition, but they agreed with no modifications to the deal. Yeah, in, in the publisher's defense, you know, it's not the publishers making stupid requests to the developer and, and burdening them with this. It's the publisher doesn't know the product nearly as good and as well as the developer. They just see what they see on the landscape of how they can make this thing the biggest success possible, and they're going to pass it on to the developer. And it's absolutely true. It's up to the developer to push back and say these are the right things for for our development right now. Or what we need to, like, they, the developer could also agree that this would be a good addition, but it's outside the scope of what we agree to and we can't do totally. it unless we change the scope. Totally. Yeah. Uh, and th- and that's why, like, it, the, the developer-publisher relationship, sometimes it can devolve into something adversarial. Like you were saying, it's like, oh, we're going to prove it to them because, like, they don't know our product and they're saying this, oh, we're just going to do it so good that no one can question us anymore. Right. But uh, it, it really needs to be a much more collaborative thing because, like you said, the publisher doesn't necessarily know the product. Doesn't like it is kind of uh, tangential. But the the saying, if you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. The saying doesn't mean that everyone else is incompetent. It's really more like you're the one who knows exactly what you want. So if you want it done exactly how you want, you're going to be the one who has to do it. And so, partially, everybody's incompetent. <laughs> <laughs> well, right. but by default, whoever's doing something is going to be the most competent at it, right? Right. 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 In right. theory. In theory. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's interesting that, in my mind, I see a lot less publisher publishing going on. Um, it just doesn't seem to be as frequently happening. Uh, independent developers have a lot of uh, leeway to kind of do things their own way now, especially with like Kickstarter, um, mm-hmm. with, you know, app store, uh, you know, with mobile and mobile in general, there's a lot of, uh, independent developers who are just perfectly fine to not purchase installs and go at it on their, go it, go it alone on their own and just try and push to get as, uh, you know, a hit on their own because those avenues are more available to them. So they don't necessarily need a publisher who's going to, back in the old days, it was, if you're a developer, you need a publisher to handle the marketing and the, you know, creating the physical disc. And uh, mm. there was all these things that game developers don't need to do with software that goes directly to a consumer. Mm-hmm. So you see on the steam store, you see on app stores, like, developers just going crazy like screw you publishers we're, we got this <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, that's, a, that's the, a really good point david because um i feel like being on the publisher side for for you know almost 12 years i feel like yeah what is our role like i feel like we need to constantly define okay as a publisher what do we have to offer do we genuinely have something great to offer these teams uh what, what's our expertise on our side what are the best tools that we have like what are we doing for our teams that's 
that's the kind of thing that keeps um I think keeps a good publisher up at night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Interesting. I know I, I totally agree with that, and and that's kind of why I always think of it as is having a toolbox that you can go to for expertise, right? It's um you know yeah they may be able to do one or two of these things on their own and, and do them okay. But can they do them great, right? Can they can they do marketing great? Can they do customer mm-hmm. support community great? Can they do uh, QA great? Mm-hmm. I mean, what I what yeah. I see a lot of times um, from these studios who do try to do that, you know, they're they're tight budgets. They're they can only do so much, and so they may not be able to do it to that level. And I think that's where a publisher is. A publisher is a mentor who's really who, who you go to them and go, yeah, yeah, I know how to do that, or. Um, oh, you need, you know, profanity filter. Here's a list of all the things that you need instead of you going out and thinking of every horrible word in, in the book. Speaking of QA, I mean, that's, that's another thing. There's a lot of small developers out there who will just try to do testing on their own. And actually to go back to the baby analogy, you're not going to try to break your baby. <laughs> oh well hey hey i have tried with my baby <laughs> making her a spartan <laughs> no, it, it, it is right nick uh uh it's surprisingly how unprepared people are uh to qa their a to qa their own games b to realize how much resource you need to do and no your whole team playing the game is not qa <laughs> just the same way that a QA person offering advice is not a game designer. You should not think that a game designer playing his game, I played it three times today, is QA. Like <laughs> These are specific disciplines that have specific purposes. And, and trust me, I've heard this from developers before that they QA, quote unquote. Um, and then secondly, I would also point out like there's this huge rise in like esports types games or competitive games or high skill uh, games. I feel like this is a, a trend. And it requires an even higher level of QA than ever before. Like you need people who are skilled and dedicated to playing this game in a way that even the, the creators of the game do not have the skill level to play it. Oh yeah, if yeah. if it's going to be a competitive sport, it has to be so well balanced. Because guess what? If people are competing and there's something broken about it that they can exploit, <laughs> they will. Yes. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, it's all about infrastructure to me. Um, and and that's another piece that, you know, a studio wouldn't have is, you know, I'm sure, you know, Nick, you could sit here and tell me exactly what is the infrastructure for QA. Like it, instead of just playing the game, it's like, yeah, we test this, we test monetization, then we do this and we do this. It, it's very um, regimented where someone can come from, you know, a, a studio and go, OK, I'll play the game and maybe I'll catch some of these things. Right. Or I'll catch those big bugs. Mm-hmm. But but having that that great publisher who goes oh no here's your qa team and they know how to do that and do it quickly and efficiently which is as we know it's super important in the industry as well because you have to do very quick iterations yeah, yeah. and on top of that like the in the uh, in at the company i'm at right now we actually have partners who you know do like cqa who do like a compliance qa who like are testing you at the memory hack level things that no studio is going to have the time to do but when they launch the game and everyone's hacking the shit out of the game you know, <laughs> who, who gets blamed for it right, right. Pub- publisher actually <laughs> <laughs> well actually usually when stuff goes wrong they, uh, they like customers tend to blame the publisher even if they don't even know the difference properly. I mean, I remember there was a whole bunch of uh, hubbub when Dark Souls got a PC port, and everybody's like, oh, Namco, why are you doing this? Like, Namco's not the developer. They didn't do it. Right. right. Why does it got to be games for Windows Live? Like, I don't think Namco really had the final say in that. Right, right. 
but yeah, it's kind of taking a step back. Um, the the old school definition of your develop or your, or your publisher rather was that they were required to get the distribution channel. If you didn't have a distribution channel, yep. you wouldn't be able to get shelf space on a store. Yeah, and now it it has to. You know, there there can be shelf space on a store if you're releasing a console game. There can be like featuring in an app store or Steam marketing mm-hmm. because you know if everyone can get to market, there's a whole lot of stuff out there to look at, and you got to do something to get your product to stand out from the crowd. And so the publisher is the one that's going to have some expertise in being able to find the audience for your game. Uh, user acquisition big problem there's also other you know features that you know a small developer isn't going to be able to maintain a large analytics system they're going to have to buy into either an external system or have a publisher provide one for them and well assuming they even have someone who knows what to do with those systems (laughs) right (laughs) (laughs) oh they go in to select the purchase something okay we'll send a purchase event oh yeah but they canceled out so your revenue is off right yeah you know i I think you nailed it on on you know, like even like UA and, and acquisition, like, you know, one area that we've been exploring this past year is is influencers. And, you know, how can you plug them in um, to really, you know, get your user acquisition just kind of exponentially coming in? And um, that's one that, you know, studios like, yeah, I know who PewDiePie is, but like, do I even know how to reach a PewDiePie or how much does a PewDiePie cost? Which, you know, that can be incredibly competitive. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's that's apparently something that uh, is is around a lot with uh, I'm not sure if some developers erroneously think this or fans keep suggesting it's like, oh, just get a YouTuber to look at it. Uh, right. Oh, it's yeah. so easy, right? It's yeah. so easy. <laughs> yeah, like, actually, I was just talking to um, some uh, PR guys, I think like a week ago. Um, and I was asking about like what in, what uh, influencer stable they have where they can you know pull out specific famous people to to play for us. Right. And uh, and like we actually PewDiePie was mentioned. It was funny because I was like, oh yeah, everybody wants PewDiePie. PewDiePie, you know, is going to move numbers on your game. Right. And the guy was like, yeah, PewDiePie, you have no control over people like PewDiePie. Like one second they could be promoting your game, the other second they be, they could be promoting Five Nights, you know, with Freddy or whatever. Five yep. Nights. <laughs> You know, like you have no control over those people. That's that's actually what you need your publisher to bulldog and chase down. Right. And, you know, while you're trying to make the game great. Right. Furthermore, if, like... you tr- if you try to get in touch with certain influencers and YouTubers, you got to make sure you get the right one. Because some like if you have yeah. a game that's, you know, uh, uh, NerdCube does not like free to play games a, a lot of the time. I mean, there there might be some out there he's more fond of than others and some might be able to prove themselves. But he's generally not fond of you know mobile free-to-play mechanics particularly when they go on to steam and uh if if you just blindly sent something to him he'd probably wind up just making a video insulting you and would actually down your sales oh and and uh, and the people who wouldn't are very expensive i just got to point out pewdiepie is expensive as all fuck (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, you would, it, it's amazing. Not only is it expense and if they will like it, but then it's also do they have the right audience, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, just because uh, they have a huge audience, they may be into, you know, social app games. They may just like, you know, the, the Kardashian game. And if I try to throw a Clash of Clans at them, no one's going to do it. So you've got also got to understand that piece as well when you're trying to, to plug these these people in. Or not only are you spending a lot of money, but you're wasting a lot of money as well. Oh yeah, because user acquisition is really expensive, just oh in, in general. Yep. Yeah, 
I, I, what few numbers I've seen have always surprised me. It's like, we're spending how much a day? I yeah, mean, user yeah. acquisition is the new marketing model, in, in my opinion, uh, because it's closer to being something where it has measurable ROI. Um, and, and like, especially in mobile, it's virtually the only way to reach people, right? So, you know, it, the, you're going to see bigger and bigger mark, uh, user acquisition spends. Um, the indie market, aside from like the occasional flappy bird that, that makes a, a you know, <laughs> billion from just being viral, yeah. that market doesn't really exist. I mean, just look across Steam, like 95% of all revenue in Steam is made by the top three games. Right. right. There is no indie market in the way you think about it. There, 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 you, those are like lottery tickets that have won. In general, you have to find some sort of publisher relationship or you have to be able to self-publish and have some experience doing that. Yeah, I think that there's a lot to be said for uh, managing expectations. And this this goes for, mm-hmm. you know, for all facets of game development. But um, in the publisher and developer relationship, it could be um can be stressed in the same way that the independent developer who has publishing chops can thinks about it, right? Like you have to be able to understand that, okay, if I'm working at a large company and we've got a mobile team and we're doing a game with 25 people. And then on top of that, we've got to manage server infrastructure, central teams, uh, our marketing and HR, et cetera, outside of just those 25 people in order for a game to make money, it needs to, you know, make X amount of dollars. Right. So, um, with a smaller team, like if you, if you can, as a publisher, if you can manage to get a smaller team, that's very effective, that comes up with a very good game, you can kind of cut that overhead. And that's kind of the draw of it, right? Like we don't have to worry about, um, paying those extra resources for the actual people that are making the game. And hopefully that that team is small enough and it's economical enough. And that's where you get outsourcing of development teams. Like, Oh, we're going to, uh, you know, work with this team in Bangalore or Toronto um, because they work cheaper than here in San Francisco. And so right. now you're like, okay, well, our overhead's way down. We have to make less money for this to be successful. So managing that expectation is like a big part of game development in general. Yeah, totally right. I, I mean, I think it's from any every aspect of the game, um, you know, managing expectations are, are – because once you get off of that, that's when things go awry. That that's when things go bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you start getting, you know, team size is too big and development takes too long, or you're not making as much money per day. It's just like, okay, well, I guess this venture is over. <laughs> and it could be the opposite too. Is is uh, you know, development team gets too small as well. You know, I've I've dealt with one game for the past year where they kept on cutting the team. And they kept on cutting the team. And and really, it it where the game was going toward a a sunset mode, but it's it's now kind of rushing it toward that mode because there there literally isn't um, any developers you know on the game to uh, solve any kind of bugs or anything that come up or, or gives you know new content in, in a quick amount of time. So it can go either way for sure. Hmm. Awkward silence. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm just nodding in agreement, but I realize this is not a. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, nodding makes for great radio. <laughs> so, Chris, actually, I, I um, just to speak a bit more for your area of expertise, I know that sometimes it's there, there's managing expectations, and you're in a position where you have to help manage expectations to some extent with both the developer and the community, because if the if say the um, 
with the publisher running uh, community, you know, you have to say like, okay, look, there's this issue we know. We're working on it. And then you have to go to the developer and say, work on this, please. Right, right. And and I it can be really difficult, too, when, um, you know, you feel that this is a big issue and it affects a lot of people. But the the studio is like, well... Um, it hasn't reached this threshold, so we don't think it's a problem. It, it's kind of that bean counter like, well, you know, we know it's going to kill uh, 3,000 people, but that costs us less than actually changing the part. Um, but and, you know, and how and how uh, against stereotype is that? It's the, the, the publisher is the one that cares and the developer is the one that's the bean counter. <laughs> I, it, it's been weird. I'm not going to lie because, uh, you know, my – my goal is always just best in class service. It, it's, and the idea why that's important isn't just because, oh, you know, people will like us. That's great. It's, it's that the best companies, and I don't care what industry that you're looking at, when you give great customer, uh, support, um, you get long-term retention. You get people talking about your product. You know, um, I, I know everybody's heard of Zappos, but I mean, when you think about it, it's the most silly thing in the world. You're buying shoes online. First of all, everybody's feet are totally different, so how do you know that's going to work? And it's shoes. Like, I mean, who really cares? But they have the most – they have the best customer support, and it's turned that company into a, a you know, multimillion-dollar company because of good customer support. And, and games are just like that, right? It is Everybody just wants a good experience, and when that experience goes bad, they talk bad about it, and um, – you know, they're, they're going to walk away, but then you've also got to explain that to the developer who's going, well, that's an acceptable loss for me. Um, and, and I, I believe it was, I think it was you, Dave, who was also, or, or maybe it was Nick. I apologize, but you guys were saying like, oh, it was Nick it, adding development. Like Damn it. they're also looking at like, oh man, well, yeah, I could fix that bug, but it's going to cost me this much development time. And we need this feature in instead, because we believe this feature is going to monetize the game more. But mm-hmm. at the same time, you're screaming from the top of the mountain, like, no, please God fix that first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I it's, uh, you, things get even more complicated when you start talking about free to play versus, you know, just oh, a wow, release. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Like, um, back oh, in but, the- but free to play is so easy, right? <laughs> you just put in some IAPs and you print money. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it's so funny being on on uh, in the uh, you know in the know in the business and seeing how easy it is to go bankrupt trying to make a free to play game, and you see a bunch of fans <laughs> on forums saying, "Oh, they're just greedy and putting in IAPs and and blah blah blah." And you know, there are some some examples where sure, it's fair enough. I mean, there's there's a reasonable debate to be had about having a game that's a a paid experience and it has you know in-app purchases in, inside it as well i mean is mm-hmm. that right is that wrong is, hey, Nick, are, you saying there, are you saying there are free-to-play games that don't go bankrupt i would like to work on one of those <laughs> <laughs> sure uh clash of clans clash royale right. <laughs> uh, uh uh boom beach uh all them all them supercell ones uh game of war fire age i'm pretty sure those haven't gone bankrupt yet Right. Well, Dave's right, though. The, the, the difference from that is, and, and I've gone through this as well with studios, because they'll look at, at um, non-paying players as kind of expendable and, oh, they don't count, and um, we don't need to give them the same level of customer support, which, don't get me wrong, when they when they bitch at me, I, I get kind of frustrated, like, you're bitching and you're playing a free game. That really sucks. But the mm-hmm. truth is, like, you need – what, I, I've, I've heard numbers of, like, 3 5% of, of your – your player base actually pays for the game and the rest don't. That means that there's, you know, probably hundreds of thousands of people who are not paying 
but if you've got this open world environment, need to be there. Yeah. Um, who are also going to talk to other people and go, you should play this game. And maybe, you know, maybe they're not um, uh, uh, paying, but their friend may start paying and their friend may start paying a lot. So it, it's, it's a very weird dynamic there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that uh, it's, it's, it's really, uh, it's hard. And with the publisher versus developer relationship, uh, you know, I'm used to dealing more with in-house, um, but I have seen it where it's been a developer working on free to play for a publisher. And, uh, you know, the publisher is expecting a certain amount of uh, delivery on a game or they come in halfway through the development of a game and it's been pitched to them and they're like, oh, OK, well, this sounds great. I think it's going to work. We've looked it over, looked at the metrics that you've got. Everything seems to be cool. OK, we'll take it on. We'll start handling more user acquisition, you know, put you into our network. Um, so potentially there's cross promotion, et cetera, et cetera. And then you can see, like, if it goes well. A lot of times those uh, development houses end up getting acquired by the publisher. Uh-huh. And if, it doesn't go, if it doesn't go well, then that developer just like goes away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. man, how have we gone this long without uh, without mentioning developer acquisition? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think you yeah, I was going to say on, on, on that front, because Nick, Nick and you and I talked about this briefly before. I've seen a lot of, I'm not going to name names, but I've seen a lot of the companies that people feel like, a large publisher swooped them and bought them and ruined them. I've seen those companies from the inside and work with those people from the inside. And, you know, my, my opinion of it is a lot of times, uh, you know, a pub- publishers are not perfect. They actually make the mistake on the acquisition front, purchasing at the wrong time, purchasing companies with the wrong culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what happens is these guys suddenly get a, an influx of, of unlimited resources from the publisher. The publishers often, more more often than not, two offhands uh, because they, they don't know the product. They trust the developer. The developer is the hot new thing right now. They trust these guys. They give them money and it just sort of explodes and implodes from the weight of its own ambitions. You know, yeah. uh, that, that's more common of what I've seen than, than the publisher being the one who's, who's ruined it. Yeah. It's, it's, there's, it's difficult to see if you haven't experienced it, just what, you, you know, if you get a lot of money, then you can increase your headcount. If you increase your headcount, obviously you're bringing in new people. If you're bringing mm-hmm. in new people, yes. it's really hard. It, it, there has to be a lot of uh, effort and attention paid to making sure that they will uh, uh, follow exactly what the team dynamic that's led to what success you've had already. Yeah, I always say that, like, corporate culture cannot be created. It has to be hired. Um, because I've seen too many like initiatives to try to change the group. And it's just simply people, I mean, people at that point in their lives are too static in my, in my opinion, uh, to significantly change. Yeah. And it's not necessarily, you know, this is a bad person. It's just that you get person A and person B and person C together. It's like A and B just can't work with C at the same time. A A and C might be able to work with each other. B and C might be able to work with each other. A and B might be able to work with each other. But you get A and B together and C doesn't work at the same time. Yeah, funnily enough, sometimes it's some of the smartest teams that are unable to work together. I call them, you know, (laughs) a room full of uh, kids who are too smart for their own good. Um, It's your ability to work together is sort of uncorrelated with your IQ. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or or, or I, I think uh, professionalism is like the ability to continue to do your job in the face of any such, uh, um, you know, interpersonal like mismatches. But still, even if everyone is completely professional, uh, there's that 
level above and beyond where things are, you know, simpatico and it just kind of supercharges all the work. Uh, that can, in the absence of that, it can cause problems. And, uh, I've, I've been in a situation where I kind of inherited a team that was fractured in this kind of way. And like you said, Lorenzo, you can't really make an initiative to fix it. Um, to put it somewhat bluntly, we had to breed out the problem. We just had to bring <laughs> in, yeah, we, we, the, uh, you know, more baby analogies. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, oh man. And uh, <laughs> you want to continue that? Uh, the person who was kind of responsible for that, uh, said, that you get more work out of these people if you treat them like babies. And uh, I just react like, I don't think that's healthy. So, yeah, yeah we, we had to we had to let, you know, it's it's QA work. There's a lot of temp contractors. There was stuff we didn't renew, so we just let them go, didn't bring them back. And everyone we brought in, we made sure was mm-hmm. far more, you know, in line with how we wanted things to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, you don't want to treat them like babies, but, you know, there are times where, you know, uh, I've said that sometimes, you know, as a publisher, as as an expert in my field, right? Like, you know, even if say uh, a studio thinks they know QA, they don't really know customer support. They don't really know community, and so I feel like I have to drag them to success and 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 help them even against themselves. Um, I had an issue, uh, you know, this past week where a game broke very very badly, and you know, the studio. Um, their their idea for the fix was convoluted and, and would have taken tons of time and would have actually led to bad uh, customer support. So I basically had to go, this is how we're going to do it because this is the smarter way. And they still didn't even really like it because their idea was, you know, the, the, it had to be the perfect idea. It, it doesn't work. So, you know, sometimes you, you, you have to you have to drag them. You have to tell them, like, this is the best way. You've got to trust me. But you also build that trust, I think, through the entire part of the relationship. If you want a very uh, present example of like what Chris is talking about, and, and just the and how like too much money too fast is not good for small developers, I would just point at Pokemon Go, right? <laughs> and the inability to keep up with community and right. uh, and CS right now, and the utter disaster outfall. Like I think by day three. Their four and a half star rating in Japan had dropped to 1.5 stars. Like clearly, they were unprepared for that aspect of their game, which is a critical part of a service related of a service game. They yeah. didn't even have a community manager, and um, every it was kind of a joke in the community uh, uh, industry of that they were basically looking everywhere to get a community manager, but they were doing it so late. Everybody start, started seeing all the problems. No, no one that, no one now wants to actually do that job. <laughs> Whoever does that job is a rock star. That person. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. Right. Except for life. Yeah. So yeah, you heard it here from industry insiders. Please be patient with whoever takes over community for Pokemon right. go, because they are taking on a mountain. Yeah. They- they yeah. should really be looking at a team of community managers. <laughs> yeah. Well, someone has to be at the head of it anyway. <laughs> uh, that, that's totally true, though. I mean, you know, one person is not going to uh, be able to turn that around. Oh, no. it, it, it needs to be multiple people in, in, a, in a really good strategy. Probably um, one for each language. It, it could be. It could, I, or at least kind of, you know, Asian languages, Western languages, something like that. But, yeah, it's – wow. I don't. And, I and, do not envy them. And at the same time, we should we should be kind of fair. I mean – Pokemon Go is kind of unique in human history, I would oh, say. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's okay. Who would be prepared for that, exactly? I mean, they could have oh, been better prepared than they were, but... 
That's that's totally true. Um, and I'll, but but I'll also say, you know, I know people who work at uh, Google, and if you don't know, Google uh, Alphabet rather owns right. Niantic, and uh-huh. originally Ingress, uh, Niantic's first game, right. was and and Road Trip, their other app, was designed to basically collect pedestrian data for Google. Now, right. I just want to point out, like knowing people that work at Google, there is a culture there. It's a very engineering-oriented culture. I mean, just look at the Google products. They're barely fucking usable. So this is, <laughs> this is, a, this is like attitude that comes from the top, you know. Um, this is th- To me, this means that Niantic actually has a very good cultural fit with how Google does things. Um, it's just not a great cultural fit for players. And Pokemon happened to explode, and now the players are exposed to a very different culture than they're used to, uh, namely lack of complete lack of communication. Um <laughs> And so, like, and so you get these issues, and so they're gonna have to grow very quickly to 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 make up for that, and to realize they are not just a software company; that they are an entertainment company. It's, right. inter- mm-hmm. it's interesting to see also on the brand side, right? Like what that's done for and to <laughs> Nintendo, right? Right. Like initially, which, which been... Nintendo has nothing to do with it, which I thought was hilarious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was it, really. Like Nintendo stock price shot up, and then everybody was like. Oh wait a minute! Nintendo didn't really make this, so then the <laughs> stock price crashed back down <laughs> in a day. Yeah, I you know going back to the the piece of of you know, the community to me, this was actually a good example of the publisher um, actually failing and not looking ahead because really yeah. that's what a, a publisher's job is to go is like, hey, you know, Pokemon Go has been in the works for a while. You know, Pokemon's awesome. This idea uh, makes a lot of sense. Okay, let's get ready. And the fact that that didn't happen, I don't. I actually don't blame the studio at all. I just straight blame the publisher. They should have been prepared for at least a percentage of this. I'm not sure if anybody really thought that we were going to see, you know, every gamer in the world walk outside uh, again with <laughs> the lights. And, and <laughs> so, so, but, but Chris, like, you actually should blame the developer in this case because the developer is the publisher. That's I believe true. Niantic is self-publishing. Uh, it, well, the Pokemon I, company could have had some, you know, uh, an, yeah, a helping they're, hand. See, in all but of they're this. not a publisher, though. That's this true. is the thing. They're just per- there to provide the brand. And yeah. Nintendo actually has nothing to do with it. So the only publisher, the listed publisher for the game is Niantic themselves. Mm. Which, so which goes to show some of the dangers of self-publishing, too. I was yeah. about to say the same thing. Yeah, yeah. It really does show that danger of um, there wasn't someone inside there with the experience to go, you know, yes. maybe we should have a plan. Uh, I think they had. I think they actually had a community manager who quit. Uh, <laughs> oh, that makes so much sense. I think so. I'm not. No, no, I can't remember. Yeah, that, yeah. Ouch. Ouch. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it was definitely one of those crazy phenomena. I, I mean, you can never be totally prepared. I mean, you know what my goal is uh, because my stuff a lot of times is very plug and play. It's it's community and customer support. So, you know, I have certain areas that I know that I have to have in there. And if I have that infrastructure in there, I'm going to be great when I don't have it. You know, it's a problem. Um, you know, a lot of people who know me, you know, my biggest uh, complaint is uh, what's called an admin tool, which is basically how uh, customer support can manipulate the game or see logs and things like that for us to basically do our job. Um, and if that is not ready, if it's not robust and, and, and what I need, I can't support the game. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's one of the things where, you know, I look at proper infrastructure, and that's that's my job when I'm running these departments to make sure that that infrastructure is there. So if something does blow up, that I can quickly scale up and be able to support that. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that and that's another one of those things that if a, a developer may not have the proper, well, they may not even plan to have an admin tool in the first right. place, and if they do, it's quite probable that they don't have the right level of uh, uh, importance assigned to it in their planning. Uh, yeah. Admin tool generally ranks somewhere like behind, I don't know, I want to say like a wiki support page, audio, <laughs> uh, UI. And and on top of that, they may not even have the right uh, 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 like knobs and levers in mind. They they might give you stuff you don't need and not give you stuff you do need. And Nick, that's, that's, you see that all the time, actually. So, you know, I've been working in this industry for a long, long time. And, um, you know, we've created a spec so that it has all those pieces to do all that. Um, yeah, most studios are, are kind of shocked. And even when I show them the spec the first time, they're kind of shocked of like, wow, we've got to do all of that. And, um, you know, as I tell them, it's like, well, you don't have to do all that. But if you <laughs> don't do it, you're going to have to help me out a whole lot more than you really want. Yeah, because we're asking you this to save you effort. Yeah, yeah. That's that's always how I put it. After, and, you know, they pay me now or pay me later. And most times they pay me later, sadly. <laughs> yeah. And and then sometimes they have to pay you more because something broke or someone stopped doing something. Or. Yep. Most likely. Most likely. Yeah. I th- I've done a lot of different things over the years. I mean, QA has always been my title, but QA winds up touching so many other things or if people oh, yeah. aren't available qa has to pick up the slack in a lot of different cases so you know getting resources for marketing or you know i've i've there there was one point where i wound up being i mean the 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 titles weren't exactly huge but i wound up being like community management and customer support for a couple of games that were live and fortunately for me i had the ultimate administrative tool which was direct access to the game database. I could just reach in and rewrite whatever I wanted. That's scary. Right. Hey, I was careful about it. I knew what I was doing. Okay, I'm just saying it's too much power for you. Well, it's it's funny. I'm the one who's trustworthy. I was probably better at that than the engineer. (laughs) Well, it's funny that you say that because uh, for a game that I'm currently working on now, we took on kind of some escalated uh, uh, issues. And so... Um, we actually have access to, uh, to the Unity database, and uh, I mean, yeah, it's, it's full power. I, I'm always kind of surprised when the studio will hand that to us because, you know, if, if someone just wants to break the game, they can break the game. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But uh, at the same time, no one wants to do that. Well, at least no one associated with the game. Yeah, but, yeah. Oh. I don't know about that. I could think <laughs> of it. Yeah. would be more than happy to break the game just because. Yeah, you have to assume people are going to try all the time, or assume that people are not going to know how to not break it. Right, that's even more likely, right? Like, oh, I didn't know it was going to break the game. Yeah, well, it did. Thanks. (laughs) Right, right. Uh, Yeah, perfect example of that in in uh, in the last week where uh, someone, uh, as I as I said to uh, to them later on, they touchy the button they shouldn't have, uh, (laughs) and they basically broke a live event that screwed over um, around 40,000 players. Oh, wow. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. And so, I, you know, that's what I've been doing all week long is cleaning up that mess because one button was touched. Yep. Mm. yep. They touched the shiny red candy-like button. That's just loud. So I was like, Don't, why would you touch that? Why? That's the history of yeah, button. I have a story on that, and um, there was a, a big game from a big publisher. Again, won't mention what it was, but uh, um, they put out a sale, and the catalog management, the back-end catalog management tools 
were, you know, kind of left on the back burners. Again, one of those unsexy things that you don't really care about. Well, right. you know, we want to put up a sale of in-game items. We'll just type it in ourselves, you know, no big deal. <laughs> and so what happened was, uh, well, multiple things happened. One being, you know, mm-hmm. obviously wrong data gets entered. Everything gets goes free or things like that. But my favorite was, like, the system uh, never removed old things that had been entered, right? <laughs> so they would just keep adding new things, and they would say, this is the latest thing. And so some, some, a whole country actually, I think it was Poland at the time because there's so many hackers in Poland. Right. They figured that out. And for this game, people basically submitted the link to buying the item because this was oh. all sent by HTTP. They figured out the link, and so they could buy massive amounts of this item at the original sale price, wow. even though it had <laughs> long been taken off the store. It wasn't even on the in the game store, right? Oh. And they could just continuously like buy it, and people they're like. What the hell? Like, why is this sudden massive influx of of cur- cheap currency and our revenue hasn't changed? <laughs> oh man! Well, that's because you haven't spent your effort, like you know, properly checking the security of your catalog system. Right. It's not in the user interface, therefore it's not possible. Right. 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 <laughs> nah, nah. People can figure out ways around that. Yeah. And yeah. that's that. That's definitely another thing you have to be careful with, uh, like Chris, uh, or was it Chris or Lorenzo? I think it was actually Lorenzo talking about, you know, testing security for stuff. And, and you, you need people who, like, the more practice you have at something like that, the better you're going to be at it. And even if you are, you know, the one making the game, you don't necessarily know how to break it. And information security is serious business. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, um, you know, we're, we're looking at an indie game, and I was just told it was going to be client side so you know the whole game, <laughs> uh, the entire oh. game could be manipulated and my first question was is there any multiplayer aspect to this game they're like no i'm like okay whatever that that's on you guys and not on me anymore because right. uh, if they cheat then they're just hurting themselves but they're not hurting others so yeah yeah it's but, the multiplayer where the cheating starts to really hurt because you know that's when you're you're uh, uh, impacting other players and can really just poison a community of yeah. the game. I mean, and that, that's also where like esports stuff games will break. Are, are, uh, sorry, you'd be shocked how many even multiplayer games are are have client size client side parts to them. Uh, big games that exist today, in, especially in the mobile market, where where there's even less experience building the back end, and they get hacked all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And and I. I mean, the one thing that, that you know, uh, uh, you know, other ga- game companies I've worked with, you know, there's huge games like World of Warcraft that, that continue to, to, you know, hackers are going at that all the time, and but they're improving all the time. But then the hackers, you know, get better and bubble, and it just goes backwards and mm-hmm. back and forth for years, um, where you know you never really truly get rid of those hackers. That's why you have to have a um, security really dialed in as much as you possibly can because. No matter what, you're going to be dealing with something. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. It's it, the information security. The the proper philosophy, in my opinion, is that it's not about making a game impossible to be hacked or right. cheated. It's about making it as hard as you can to yeah. cheat and less worthwhile. Yeah, and, and and having the right policy to address to the players when it happens, what you're doing about it. You have to be very transparent about it. My favorite was back in. Uh, War, the Warhammer MMO, they would like, when you logged into the client, it would tell you the daily number of people that they banned for hacking, which was, that was awesome. I love that. <laughs> that. That is awesome. Yeah. It, when it, That's cool. When a game starts hurting, when there's a lot, or, or even whether it's true or just an appearance of a lot of hackers in the game, you know, you have to, 
you have to address that in one way or another. Oh, and um, it can get really bad if you have like some sort of infecting hack where you something you do can make it look like a different player cheated. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, I've had that happen a few times, and then the worst part about that is, is rarely do you know immediately that that person wasn't a cheater. Say you ban them or you action them, and they're like, "What did I do?" And then you have to go back and revert everything that you did and figure out, <laughs> "Oh, you weren't the cheater. It was this douchebag over here." Yeah, yeah. And I'd say like uh, this. This also touches on another point. I think players outside of the industry need to sort of just realize that the issues that they see aren't always necessarily the the most critical issues that are actually happening on the back end. Assuming yeah. the publisher and the developer are are very competent and have a good handle on their product, you may see, you know, this may be the opposite example. Maybe you do see a lot of hacking, but actually in terms of the total damage it's doing to the economy and to the service as a whole, maybe that type of hacking isn't what is the most important thing. So there's a lot of like, there's a lot more that goes into prioritization than just, Oh, company X doesn't give a fuck. You know, it's, it's yeah. more than that. Right, and really I was true. about to say the prioritization is also where you can get a lot of publisher experience and say, this is important. This is less important. Focus on this one first. Yes. Right. Right. That's so true. Um, because more than not, you feel that one thing is really affecting it when there's a bug that's really destroying the game, but it may not seem as big at the moment. Um, one of the things that I always find interesting is, you know, a bug that's been in a game for a long time, but it has been deprioritized. But then a new feature comes out, which oh, ouch. yeah, that links right into that bug, and then suddenly that bug just became huge. That's always right. a fascinating. To see. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's the kind of situation where you need to have more, just sort of more awareness about just what's going on in the game and the new. You got to make sure the left hand knows what the right hand is doing. So everyone knows that there's this existing issue and they know that this feature change is coming. And that's where, like, you know, designing, planning, testing needs to examine this and make sure there's no, like, these things don't combine in a horrible way. Yeah. And, and to add a little bit more perspective on that, too, like, people also need to realize just because I released feature X does not mean I was ignoring critical problem Z. Because oh, yeah. the yeah. way development happens, it's not everyone is dogpiled onto one problem. There's different teams doing different things in parallel. Mm. Oh yeah, that and and that's one of the things that's going on a lot in Pokemon Go right now too. Is is right. like you know the whole three step bug. Oh, we're gonna take the steps out, and you know there I can think of plenty of legitimate reasons to do that, and everyone starts talking about oh they're gonna be you know expanding this without fixing critical issues or something. It's like well you know. <laughs> right. It's 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 not a binary here. Yeah. Sorry, we can't pull over the Pokemon animator who's making Clefairy dance to go help on the server problems, okay? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't work that way. What I, what I find the difficulty, though, that runs in with that is when um, you run into a bug uh, that the development team just doesn't know how to fix, whether they can't recreate it, whether... Yeah. Um, yeah, they can, re can recreate it, but it turns out there's multiple aspects to this bug. It's not simply a press the red button, you just now fix it, and it's all fixed. There's there's messy things in there. Um, and I think, you know, uh, like Dave said earlier in the show, it, it, it it's the communication between all the, the stakeholders that's super important. Um, you know, Lorenzo knows this as a product manager, that, that being able to kind of keep everybody informed and know where the roadmap is and where it's going. That's why it's just uh, essential to have, you know, those types of people in, uh, you know, in a publisher. 
Or in Niantic's case, like messaging that out to the player base, right? Mm-hmm. Being transparent right. or at least giving good reasons for what, if you don't know what the issue is, and these are dr- dramatically difficult issues to solve. Again, this is the hardest, one of the hardest uh, industries in the world. I, I genuinely believe that. Um, and the most complex type of software, like you may not know how to solve it, but you have to keep your players in the loop about it and not give them, well, I don't know. I've been following what their CEO is saying, and there's a lot of like smoke, smoke screen, dismissive, like passive stuff. And that's why they need uh, some some uh, like trained community managers to talk to people about. This. I, re- I really think it's weird because I feel like if other games have this type of problem, it's like a it's a death knell. That's the end of the game, pretty much. Right. Whereas the yeah. they have such an engaged customer base that even though they're having problems, all they really need to say is like, "What? Well, hold on, guys, we'll fix this. It may take a bit, but we'll fix this." And people will be like, "Okay," and they'll give them the time to do yeah. it. Yeah, totally. That's so true. It's yeah. so but, weird. Like most other games game don't have that, that luxury. People, like suffered numerous crashes and yeah, and and relogins and et cetera, et cetera, over like three weeks to try to play. Yeah. This is a, like unique in in the mobile space. Oh yeah, so where unique. people churn out in the first hour, you know. Oh yeah, there's so many just strange things about Pokemon Go. Like I said, it's kind of unique in all of history. Yeah, definitely. Well, and you know, to speak to kind of what you guys are saying, I, I totally believe in transparency, and um, sometimes you know. For myself working for the publisher and being in between, it can be very tough because the studio is like, well, I only want to say this or this, or I can even try to buy them some time, but it depends on the goodwill of the community. And that's why a good community manager to, to at least keep things going. You, you only get so much amount of time. And then, you know, I, I, you know, players, they want it done immediately. So if, if, if a bug takes your uh, development team six months to fix it may be too late, especially in the in the mobile world where uh, you know people are less um, uh, understanding. You know, it's it's basically well, there's a new thing out. I'm I'm off to play that new thing or something yeah. like that. Yeah, one of the reasons for that is because a lot of the mobile space is free to play, and right. the free to play lowers the bar of entry. If you lower yep. the bar of entry, you get more people in, but you have less inherent retention. Right. Uh, if if you have an upfront cost to get in, you're like it's it's a um, adjacent to the sunk cost fallacy you know it's like i spent 10 bucks for the game i want to get 10 bucks of enjoyment out of it damn it right (laughs) right yeah so for for a situation like that you're going to get more patience that's that someone's going to fix it you want to go back and get your 10 bucks worth but if you if you're if you're down nothing to try it then you don't lose anything to stop definitely not to go on too much of a tangent but one of the unique things about uh pokemon go is uh, you know App Annie recently reported that like um, that basically the explosion of Pokemon Go has not changed the engagement in the rest of the uh, major mobile games. So what that basically is saying is that majority of the demographic is new to mobile games, and that might mm-hmm. be one of the reasons that there's so much more tolerance. Uh, just anecdotally, it's true. Like even my my dad is fucking playing. <laughs> so, <laughs> he, the last game he played was maybe Candy Crush. He hates video games, but he right. installed it. You know, so like yeah. I think there's a different audience. So that means there's a different community culture. So that means you need to set a, a very early. You need to set what the tone is for how not just you communicate with people, but how the community communicates with itself. And I was actually uh, speaking with Alex last week about Pokemon Go, and that's one of the important things about uh, Ingress, at any rate, is that the part of the point is that you'll have players just talking to each other directly. You won't necessarily have so much of a uh, community-led discussion. 
Uh, and so it'd just be, you know, people meeting up and talking with each other and that sort of coming together happening in Pokemon will also kind of flavor some of that interaction. Yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, I, I think, you know, one of the interesting challenges is, you know, what are going to be the best channels, um, to take care of the community that way? Like you said that, you know, some of these people may, may be new, so they're not going to like a forums. They're probably, you know, mm-hmm. your dad is most likely not going to Reddit. Um, and so, you know, maybe he's hitting up Facebook and, you know, how do you communicate with them there? I, what I think it'll be very interesting is how long the community will put up with, um, kind of these problems. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, it, will it be, you know, all of these people who've loved Pokemon for so long, you know, they, they'll probably give it a, a, a longer chance, but if you can't fix it, like, you know, does this go away in six months? Does it go away in a year? Um, it, it, it's a really fascinating, uh, uh, use case. And, and that's, that's one of the, exactly that's also where, one of the tricks where you have to, like, keeping people entertained, you have yep. to find that right balance between fixing bugs and adding new features. Oh, because yeah. Because you do have to pay attention to both. If you're only fixing bugs, then people are going to feel like they've experienced everything and churn out. And if you only add new features to keep people interested and engaged, the bugs are going to pile up and cause too much frustration and people are going to uh, bail out. And again, that's another thing that, you know, running good analytics to understand stuff uh, is some of that value that a publisher can provide so that the developer can, instead of spending their resources trying to parse out where their priorities should be, you have the publisher who is already should in this, you know, hypothetical relationship should be set up to divine this information, divine these uh, conclusions from the information that they have and help guide the developer in a collaborative sort of way. Yeah, I was going to touch on that. Like, the, so yes, that's exactly what a publisher is the strongest at. There's a couple, there's a couple of factors that that make that so, and it's because a publisher takes on multiple projects typically, um, instead of being Niantic taking on just one of their own project product. When a publisher takes on multiple projects, that means from a resourcing perspective, I can hire the best to do very specialized things and that a team by itself would never be able to afford and, and trot this guy out, you know, to, to sort of help out. Like, for example, a, a publisher could have a UI expert, uh, a backend expert, people consultant type of things. Um, and the other thing that publishers would have is uh, having experience across a large portfolio of games, they're able to sit and compare game over game, game to game, what things work. Mm-hmm. So we don't always actually know that, but we can say, oh, okay, in, you know, this bug or this CS issue or or et cetera or this feature did very well for game X, and we have data from that game that we can apply to your game and help us make decisions. That's another very strong thing that publishers uh, can offer. Yeah, just unlocking a whole new sort of uh, warehouse of information mm-hmm. and knowledge and market analysis. Right, provided you're open to taking that type of no it's my baby and i love it not being bitter or anything (laughs) (laughs) oh yes you you can't you can't stick around in the games industry long enough and not have some bitter cynicism in you (laughs) but we all stay but we're all here for a reason it's because we actually love video games we we actually do care um you know i i always joke uh, when I got my first opportunity at, at a, a really uh, big name video game company, you know, the 13 year old boy in me was just so excited. Like, 
every dream that I had when I was playing video games as a kid is coming true, and I get to be a part of this. Uh, the first time I ever saw my um, my name in a credit of a video game, uh, you know, I, I told everybody. I mean, and no one wanted – like, there's on a, a stupid credit roll, my name. You know, it's it's nothing fancy, but I was put on Facebook everywhere, like, look, um, <laughs> because it was like, wow, I'm I'm actually a, a part of 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 this um, this awesome product that that people are going to get all this enjoyment from. So to me, you know, sometimes it gets stressful. You know, there can be a tough day to day, but when you really look at why we're here, it's this is this is awesome. Yeah. The part you're not telling people is that that first credit was just in the special thanks section, right? <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, it probably was. But, you know, that's yeah, okay. yeah. It, it, it's it's important to emphasize right next like, to the right next to the owner's dog. <laughs> it's important to emphasize how much like listen like publishers are gamers and game developers uh, uh, themselves a lot of the times. I've never worked with a publisher that was just oh they see this game as just a piece of money making uh, whatever. Uh, it, it exists. I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but I, I would say like business a got a business, of, there's man. a lot of good relationships, a lot of good publishers, and a lot of them are very good people. And and what was it? Was it EA? Yes, it was EA that got voted like two times in a <laughs> row as like the most evil company in the world. Yeah. Right, on top right. of like all these other like clearly like Bank of America type companies. <laughs> right, right. Subprime mortgage crisis. And let me tell you, like the execs that you normally that people shit on in on Kotaku comment, you know, forums and whatever, those execs, when every time they get voted as the most evil company of the year, they're literally like teared up in their meeting rooms trying to discuss how they can change their image, how they can improve the game, how they can improve their relationship with their own internal developers. It's not they're not just faceless evil people trying to ruin your games. Some people who are faced with trying to build infrastructure for some some of the most difficult and complex um, software in the in in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's um, I had a thought and I lost it. <laughs> well, I, I I I agree. It's it's one of those things where it's they're not trying to do evil things. A lot of times, what it is is like incompetence or not thinking far enough ahead. Yes. But, but you know, everybody wants success. I mean. No one's like, wow, I, you know, I hope this game comes out and it just screws them over. Like, that, <laughs> that's really not what the goal is. We want to make great games that everybody enjoys that hopefully we all make a little bit of money and, and go home happy. Um, it can just be difficult. Yeah, I actually, I, you know, EA gets, gets a bad rap and, and, you know, I'm sure they deserve some of it, but I doubt they deserve all of it. Um, you know, the company that I'm currently with, you know, we get a bad rap for a lot of things that really, have nothing to do with us. It's just the, <laughs> the studio doing whatever they want to do. Um, and, you know, it's like, okay, well, I guess we'll take that one on as well. I, I, you even mentioned kind of a while back of, you know, a, a, acquiring, and it's the acquiring that, that actually uh, is why that the game went bad. And, and most times it's like, well, the game already had its problem. Acquiring really had very little to do to change, you know, how that game was. People think that that's how it is, but rarely is that the case. Mm-hmm. Which is not their fault. I mean, that's all, that's all they see in the news. That's the only yeah. information they can work off of. Right. I think, yeah, it's the exposure to publishers is obviously a lot more great than it is to the developers in most cases. And, yeah, the publishers take a lot of heat for that. And they also tend to have the, um, uh, you know, a lot of the things that the publishers need to do to make successful business 
are viewed as the things that are quote unquote evil, right? Like, oh, hey, we have we've we've got uh, manufacturing set up for these discs for a console game that's right. set on date X. In order to ship that, it's going to cost us five hundred thousand dollars. So right. when we push a developer to get their stuff done on time, it's not because you know we don't like okay, we think you've done good enough and now ship the game. Mm-hmm. It's because like hey, there are deadlines and the re- there's reasons for those deadlines. So so publishers get kind of a bad rap for that. Totally. Um, yeah, that's a great point. Again, yeah, yeah. That, uh, if, you, if you if you don't have any pushing for deadlines, then you wind up with Duke Nukem forever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and the thing about deadlines is, you know, there's so many dependencies on it. I mean, you, it, that's also, I think, something that gets kind of missed. And, and I remember, you know, the more and more I learn about the whole process, it's like, oh, you know, there's marketing deadlines. There's announcement yeah. deadlines. There's insert deadlines. there's, And if anything yeah. is mi- missed, it can mess up the entire production of this game and oh, maybe yeah. lose it millions of dollars. And you see that happen all the time too, right? Like I remember like with uh, when No Man's Sky was the, when it first debuted sure. what, two years ago on E3, everybody right. was completely just dropping loads. Like, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> and really it was too early, right? Like yeah. now yeah. it's about to launch and I'm hearing nothing but like, buzz about like is this gonna be any good like i don't know you know if if they had had you know maybe more of a proper setup in terms of marketing plan maybe they could have captured that essence really quickly and then capitalized on it and released shortly after and had you know they they probably would have a much larger launch but they're still gonna do fine i'm sure oh yeah and and the like the inverse of that would be going back to Pokemon Go, how it almost just came out of nowhere. It had no setup, but although it might it might have worked out in their favor that they didn't have any setup to kind of <laughs> somewhat, <laughs> yeah, a little bit temper the the right. massive tidal wave of there, users there, coming on. There is the conspiracy theory that, like the Wii, you know, the there's this engineered um, <laughs> uh, uh, server server downtime in order to create this <laughs> desire to get in. I don't know. Oh that's, God, no way. <laughs> No I, I love it's like almost every time they're, they're like I've heard the same thing on on my games as well. Like, oh, they're doing this on purpose or right. um, or it, it's anything like that. Like uh, I've heard, oh, they, they they want the cheaters in the game so that we'll somehow spend more money. It's like are you, <laughs> to compete, you got to spend more money to compete with the cheaters. Are you crazy. I don't you know. No, I would like this game to be so smooth that I come into work, have a cup of coffee and go home. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I, don't want, I don't want all this garbage. Yeah, it, it cracks me up. There's always a conspiracy theory every single oh, yeah. time. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, uh, that's that's why develop that's why publishers get blamed for developers not fixing bugs, right? Because they're just <laughs> greedy and lazy. Right. Everybody, everybody's greedy and lazy, which is why we got into this incredibly difficult industry. Right. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, most a lot of times the cases with you know with the bugs are it, it's less to do with the uh, the publisher. They can go here are your top five bugs. Now go get them fixed. And you know again they either t- it takes resources, which means money, um, and it also takes the know how. And if they don't have the know how, it just doesn't get fixed. Yeah, and you know sometimes that's that's again where the publisher might have to step in if they don't have the know how to get certain thing fixed. Then the publisher still would have access to a potentially deeper pool of talent who can help fix something if it's critical. 
Right, right. And and the the again the perspective about just what what is the most impactful thing to the user. You know, you get your publisher QA say like, look, this is critical to a user, and it's not necessarily even the nature of the issue. I mean, you can have a crash that'd be like, yeah, we'll just ship with that. It's fine. Right. You know, his, historically, crashes like, oh no, any crash has to be fixed. It's like I disagree with that. If it's if it's a crash that requires you to be uh, uh, in game playing actively for 50 hours straight and doing like just like the int- the tutorial over and over and over again right. and it crashes I don't care yeah, yeah nobody cares if you found it and you're proud of it good for you Th- this other thing that that's a I don't know there's like a a line of text that's cut off by half but it's on the on the title screen yeah, yeah that's going to be more important because it looks hideous and it's embarrassing right totally totally agree. <laughs> yeah, nodding my head, nodding my head. <laughs> no, no, it, it's always interesting that way because um, you know I I'll see a lot of those those first where people are like put in tickets for like text things and stuff like that. I'm always like, okay, you know, but which do you care about? All the crashes or you know this issue? Um, I I don't know. I always feel like every every issue to them is like a, a red button fix. Like, what you didn't press the red button? Why? Don't you want your game to be awesome? Yeah, I, I would love my game. To you know, to be awesome like that, but well, because well, you know, Unity, Unity, the the game engine has a make a new awesome creative game button in it. <laughs> you just right? didn't press enough times, you know. You just, <laughs> right. Well, and what I t- what what I've been using actually for uh, a long time is is telling people that you know when you fi- fix text over here on the left, sometimes unrelated text uh, uh, or, or code on the uh, left, unrelated uh, code on the right breaks, and you don't know why. It's I mean, code can can be very organic. I, I find, yes. um, and so temperamental it, is the word. Yeah. So it's it isn't yeah. it isn't like wow. I look through the code and look, you know, the one was supposed to be a two. Oh golly, look at us. Um, <laughs> it, it's actually uh, it's much much deeper than that. Um, I actually feel for them because you know I at one point I thought I was going to be a, a coder and it is not an easy <laughs> thing to do at all. <laughs> yeah, I have a computer science degree, and the main thing I learned when I was getting it was I don't like doing it. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Gave me a pretty good foundation for being able to break stuff, though, so, you know, that worked out, I suppose. But uh, uh, You know, um, looking at it from a, a sort of a, a, a higher-level perspective, I would say, like, you know, when you Nick, when you're touching on, like, the, the prioritization, like, uh, you know, hey, these are the critical bugs from a publisher perspective – what are the uh, critical bugs from a developer perspective? And when there's disagreement on that, I just want to say, like, sometimes there's not much you can do about a developer as a publisher. And I'm not trying to play too much a victim here, but there's not much you can do about a developer that disagrees with you. I mean, frankly, if they don't want to do it, they don't have to do it. And they can easily go find another publisher. Well, not easily, but you you know what I mean? Like, whereas... If you look well, unless at, it's an already a live game, in which case people like Chris have to try right, to right, right, s- and, and bridge the gap. Like who's put bank on this? Like from a just from a purely financial perspective, typically the publishers putting a lot more, is fronting a lot more of the money. They're the ones shitting in their pants if this thing breaks, and yet they have zero, con- not zero, they have less control over Limited the control. final results of that product. So my calls daily with with you know my developers is like my you know my daily calls status checks. Are just a lot of times it's just like I, I'd say a little prayer, please 
let them know what's happening <laughs> before <laughs> I call, before I get my update. And, and, and it's kind of like beating the dead horse with them. You know, okay, give me the rundown. Tell me what your problems are. Tell me how, what progress you've made. And sometimes it's as frustrating as just no progress has been made on anything or we don't even agree that we should be working on these things, you know? Like there, there's a lot of uh, relationship management that, that has to go that you have to be, you have to, you know, you have to put on the velvet gloves when you're working with your developers too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it, it's you bring up a good point of, of they don't have to listen to you. And, and matter of fact, it may not be in their idea best interest uh, to listen to you. Um, a lot of times once a game comes out, what their contract is based on what their their uh, uh, is basically revenue. Right. So what are they what are they making in a quarter? It's not actually, um, you know, daily active users or anything like that. It's just revenue projection. So if they're like, well, yeah, I could. I could take my time and fix that bug and not make, uh, you know, our quarterly, uh, uh, numbers, or I could put this monetization feature in first, make some money. And when I have time, I'll try to fix your, fix your bug, but I know I'm going to hit my, my numbers, which means money for my company. Yes. So it's sometimes your contract is, is actually hurting you, um, instead of helping you, uh, make good decisions for the game. Meanwhile, knowing that any reputation hit from, Things that they fuck up on are going to go on the publisher. They're not too worried about that, right? They're yeah. pretty much sheltered from that. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, I, I mean, people will walk away and and they'll, they'll blame the the uh, the publisher every single time, every single time. Yeah. I'm trying to think of an example where that's not the case. <laughs> I've been failing to do so. <laughs> right, right. That's right. Dev. You have to be a pretty toxic dev for that to happen. Yeah. Exactly. And, and, and it to come out. I mean, again, like, uh, they're not even the ones who are talking to, you know, the, the, the players. You know, again, it's the publisher that's talking to the players. So, and, and, it, and you have to basically be that, uh, whipping boy. Um, you can't, it's not like I turn around and go, hey, it's not our fault. I'm telling the, uh, the, the development team to fix it. They're just, they just won't do it. Send them an email. Um, that's never going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, I think we've had a, a pretty good conversation going here, and uh, maybe we'll have to come at this again another time because I think this is the, the, uh, the kind of topic that you can just keep going and going and going and going and going. Maybe next go. time it should be from the developer's perspective. <laughs> <laughs> maybe they can comment with the on same this one. people, with right. the same people, yeah. <laughs> All right. That that wouldn't that, that'd be kind of interesting. It's like, oh man, these developers are always trying to tell us what to do and <laughs> trying to give us money to do stuff they they like. Wouldn't won't, won't, won't give us won't give us user acquisition funding to actually get us enough people in the game to something. <laughs> or or maybe we'll just pick a, a a news topic. You know, I mean, we were you know talking about Pokemon Go quite a bit here. There's probably going to be other stuff to come. Uh, maybe the. Oh. Or like the No Man's Sky release. But, right. uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun talking with you guys. Definitely. Yeah, it was awesome. It was fun. Good yeah. Combo, yeah. Uh, so this is a part in the show where I like to uh, have someone uh, relate a uh, uh, an amusing work anecdote. Um, anybody have anything they'd like to volunteer? Uh, sure. I'll volunteer uh, my favorite April Fool's prank that I pulled. <laughs> oh, uh, so I was on an in-house development team under a top-secret project. And... Um, you know, and I was a, I was a, I was the associate, associate producer at the time, I believe. Yeah. Um, making a transition to like a monetization, um, uh, producer. 
But anyways, um, on April Fools, what I did was I took screenshots from our game. I took a screenshot of uh, a oh, Kotaku oh. article about something else. I photoshopped all the screenshots into the Kotaku article. <laughs> I wrote a fake article <laughs> that revealed a lot of the features in our game, but in a poorly understood way. Oh, <laughs> and man. I forwarded this to – in the morning of, I forwarded this to our lead producer, who was my manager oh. at the time. And and our marketing and 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 our and our uh, business partners and everything and I was like, oh my god, this is leaked. This is bad. They misunderstood all our features. Who 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 got these screen these screenshots out? This is like a prototype. <laughs> um, they flipped the fuck out for for at least thirty minutes. They flipped the fuck out. They're like ready to call the execs and come up with a, with a PR plan. <laughs> oh oh oh! He, uh, I, I I gotta I gotta put in something else that would have would have made this uh, just amazing. Uh-huh. Is if instead of making like a Photoshop thing of it, if you had like grabbed an article like the HTML of the article and <laughs> oh, put in put actually modified it so that it had the headline and text and pictures you wanted, oh. uh, put that up on an internal. Oh, server God. thing, I, I th- I and then had it redirect a, a Kotaku URL to that URL, so you weren't sending like a screen cap, you were sending them a link to a Kotaku article yeah. that was bogus. Oh my God. I, I thought about it, but uh, I, I probably would have got fired for it. <laughs> <laughs> as it was, I caused enough panic as it were. I was going to say, it depends on what floor you guys were in the building, because some people may have jumped. <laughs> well, I was on the top floor in the area right No, he would have gotten pushed. So probably not a good idea. <laughs> right. Right. Oh. Wow, that's impressive. That's impressive. I don't think he beat that story. <laughs> oh, man. That's rough. Anyhow. Uh, thank you to my panel for joining me today. It was a lot of fun. Woo-hoo. Dave, Chris, and Lorenzo. Thank you. All right. And uh, that'll be it for us today. If anyone out there wants to see me write about or hear us talk about anything here on Behind the Line Radio, you can always get in touch with me at kinetic at enthusiacs.com. That's K-Y-N-E-T-Y-K at enthusiacs.com. Always looking for more ideas. If anyone out there wants to hear anything, I want to hear it. I like it. The more suggestions I get, the less I have to think. And I approve of that. (laughs) So do we. Anyhow. <laughs> Anyhow, once again, thanks to my panel for joining me today. I hope we can do this again sometime. And see you all next time, everybody. Take it easy. Thanks, guys. Behind the Line Radio is presented by Enthusiacs.com. For more podcasts, Let's Plays, articles, videos, reviews, and more, visit us at Enthusiacs.com. Also, send us a comment on Twitter, at Enthusiacs. View us on YouTube, channel Enthusiacs, and like us on Facebook, Enthusiacs. Enthusiacs.